becoming a mother gave me this drive and confidence. I felt like I had a voice and that I felt ready to be that person that was at the front of the room. Having those ideas and using my imagination and attempting to communicate that to a whole room of dancers. I'm Caitlin Salamini, and this is the Postpartum Production Podcast. Every other week, I talk with artists who are also mothers and caregivers about their postpartum creative process. You can find out more about the podcast at www.postpartumproduction.com, where you can also sign up for our newsletter. Choreographer Danny Rowe started dancing at a young age, and her first professional role was at age 17. From 2001 to 2015, she was a principal dancer with the Australian Ballet and Houston Ballet, and also danced with the prestigious Netherlands Dance Theatre. She moved to the States to be with her husband, also a dancer, and they decided to start a family in San Francisco, where she resides now. After her daughter was born, she pursued choreography and became even more dedicated to dance, though in a different way. Danny has created works for San Francisco Ballet, Netherlands Dance Theater's Switch Program, and Royal New Zealand Ballet, to name a few. During the pandemic, her work shifted to include filmmaking, which you can see on her website at daniellerowe.net. We started this conversation discussing Danny's transition to motherhood and how that impacted her career as a whole. I started, like so many kids, quite young. I was a pretty hyperactive child and so my mom just kind of put me into whatever she could, release as much energy as possible (laughs) and ballet was one of those activities. I took to it and I was really focused, which was unusual for me and so (laughs) she just kept taking me there and I fell in love with it. And really now I don't remember a time when dance wasn't a part of my life and I became just very serious about it and With ballet, you kind of have to make the decision very young to make it your career. So it was when I was probably around 11 or 12, I had to make that conscious decision to pursue it as a career. Then started dancing what they say like full time. So I would dance all day, take ballet classes all day when I was about 14, my schooling in the evenings. And so I did that for three years. I went to the Australian Ballet School. And then when I was 17, 18 was when I got my first job and worked with the Australian Ballet and rose through the ranks and until I became principal and I was there for 10 years and then moved to Houston Ballet. So that was when I moved to the States. And I danced there for just a year and a half and then moved on to a more contemporary company called Netherlands Dance Theatre that's based in Den Haag and was there for three years. So my husband is also a dancer, ballet dancer, and he got a job in San Francisco when I moved to the Netherlands. So we were doing the long distance thing for three years. And by that time, I was in my early 30s and I hadn't really thought about having kids and I actually didn't know whether I wanted children until all of a sudden I remember a friend of mine had a little baby and I was holding this baby and it was like this ache (laughs) came over me and I was just like 
I need to have children like now. And it was just this overwhelming like urge to have a child. And it became all I could think about. And I was like, I could feel like physical aches. Like I wanted to have a child so badly. And I also knew at around that time, I was ready to stop dancing full time. Where were you at that point? Were you still in the Netherlands or... Yeah, still in the Netherlands. And so, yeah, I didn't renew my contract and I moved to San Francisco to be with my husband. And I had no idea what I was going to do next, but I knew that I wanted to try and start a family. And so we were fortunate enough. I got pregnant very quickly and had my eldest daughter. And it wasn't until after having her, I just wanted to be a mum. I didn't really have any ambition to choreograph or be involved in the dance world. But friends of mine invited me to be part of a small company, a small dance company, just as like advising and being somehow involved. And one of them asked if I would choreograph a small piece, a short piece. And at the time, I think daughter was probably only four months old. I was still breastfeeding all of that. So I would look after her during the day. And then when my husband would get home at night, like at around eight, I would like put her to bed, make sure she was fed. And then I would go and rehearse in the evenings. And I loved it. And I just loved having something for myself, like a creative outlet, even though I was sleep deprived and very tired, it was energizing. And I just wanted to keep doing more of that. And so I made this one piece. And then from there, it kind of snowballed. I started to get more and more commissions once people started to see my work. And now I am a full-time choreographer. And yeah, it's just something that I feel like when I'm in the studio, I just kind of get into a state where I can focus. And it's the same as what as being a dancer was. When I'm in the studio, I can focus for a long time and I get absorbed and I notice what time it is and it's very therapeutic for me. And so I feel fortunate to have that part of my life. I would love to hear a little bit, if we could, about your transition from a dancer to a choreographer because it does feel like it overlaid a little bit with things that were happening in your personal life too and how those interact as a dancer, how you create as a choreographer. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. As a dancer, I was more like a vessel for creativity. So a choreographer comes in and it's almost like a dancer is the equivalent of a paintbrush. And so I loved seeing what my body could do and whether I could take whatever the choreographer's imagination was conjuring up and apply it on the dance floor. But then after having a child, I felt empowered. I felt, don't really know whether I truly felt that in the moment, but looking back, I think becoming a mother gave me this drive and confidence. I felt like I had a voice and that I felt ready to be that person that was at the front of the room. Having those ideas and using my imagination and attempting to communicate that to a whole room of dancers. As I said, I didn't think that at the time, but looking back, I think had I not had my daughter, I don't think there would have been that transformation within me that would have given me that confidence to try being a choreographer. The type of work that I do, it really differs 
depending on who I'm working with and the types of dancers that I'm working with. My background is varied. I come from a very traditional ballet background, but also worked in a more contemporary environment. So depending on the movers I have in front of me, either fear in one direction or the other, but I do always have a sense of story in my pieces and generally even though I don't think I'm a very kind of dark pieces, a lot of them, and I don't think I'm a very dark person, but I think maybe there is that part of me in there and it comes out in my my work. But yeah, I mean, the piece that I did with Heather and she was pregnant at the time and it was called Before You Had a Name. And I invited a dear friend of mine, her name's Sarah Van Patten, and at the time she was pregnant, well, was just pregnant, and I knew this project was coming up and Heather and I were looking at ways we could work together. And I just thought it would be so wonderful to create a piece that looks at that time before giving birth, the hopes, the dreams that you have for your child, the curiosity the anxiousness, the unknown, and creating a piece that looks at those different conflicting feelings that a lot of parents feel. And it was so beautiful to see two pregnant women on stage sharing their art. And I mean, Sarah was 32 weeks pregnant and moving like full dancing on stage and just seeing like women operate as normal work and move and do all these incredible things whilst creating living being inside Mm -hmm. of them. Mm -hmm. So it was very emotional seeing them both up on on stage with other dancers as well, celebrating that. I hadn't really seen women pregnant on stage. Yeah, I was going to ask, is there any precedent for that? Or what does that look like in the dance? Because obviously, pregnancy always feels in the dance world, from what I know, as quite like almost a hard stop. Your body is so defined in a very particular way. And so obviously, pregnancy completely shatters that and redefines that. And what was the reaction to that piece amongst your contemporaries? Audiences were blown away, I think, by the fact that this was being celebrated. But it's wonderful. Right now, there's a lot of change in the ballet world, Mm -hmm. especially. And the acknowledgement that there is nothing debilitating about being a mother, if anything, that is a strength and an asset in a company, in a dance company. Any of the mothers that are still dancing that I know of, once they have children, it's almost like they become superhuman. They're so much more focused. They value time in a whole different way, even more sense of a responsibility and to perform at a higher level. They don't take anything for granted. And so to have someone like that in a dance company, I think people have realized, okay, (laughs) this is wonderful. We should support these dancers that want to have families rather than looking at it as almost like what used to be looked at as a disability. I mean, I've never seen any pregnant woman dance on stage before, but I'm sure it's probably (laughs) been done, but it was my first experience. Yeah. It's sort of my mind is a little bit blown in thinking about what a world would look like where 
performative and performance spaces included? I mean, obviously, there's so much work to be done in terms of ableism outside of pregnancy, but just looking at the pregnant body and how that's seen, and then to think of it as I don't know. I'm having trouble like unpacking my own biases immediately in terms of performance and body and all of that that we carry with us because of all of the norms that have been in place. In some ways, it's like it shouldn't be so subversive, right? It should just be so obvious that anyone, if they're comfortable in that body and they're comfortable moving in a particular way, in a particular choreography, that's fine, right? providing a platform for all different body types and all different Mm -hmm. chapters of people's lives to be presented on stage or wherever. And so I think it's about the stories that we tell and the works that we create and that we are Well, at least when I say we, I'm talking about choreographers and directors and those people that provide those platforms that we open to that and allow those opportunities instead of seeing a body or a person that doesn't align with the narrative that we used to, seeing that as an opportunity for ourselves to learn and for also telling us a different story and opening that up to audiences. I think that's also going to just create a more expansive audience, which is precisely what the ballet world especially is after. I feel a deep appreciation for Danny and the dedication she has to her work. We spoke about motherhood as well. So you had said you were committed to, okay, I'm going to be a full-time mother and do this work but then got drawn back into the creative world. Was it just easy or was there some? (laughs) I made it sound so easy. I I was so torn. I still am. Mm -hmm. I have two daughters now. Mm -hmm. How old are they, by the way? Five, almost six and two. Oh, wow. So you're still busy. (laughs) But it wasn't until I would say like a month and a half ago that I actually acknowledged that I work full time. Hmm. And so it's been this kind of juggle and I kind of have felt for a very long time that I'm a full time, like stay at home mom that sometimes choreographs. (laughs) And so I've been like tailoring my schedule around that. But then at a certain point, because the workload has increased, I've finally come to terms with the fact that, okay, full-time childcare is required mm-hmm. and that, well, I want to dedicate that amount of hours to my work during the day. But fortunately, with a choreographer's schedule, and as I am a freelance choreographer, I have been able to tailor my schedule. But yeah, it's kind of been this in-between <laughs> for a while, still figuring it out. Yeah. I mean, if I'm able to ask, because I don't have an answer either, how does that look both on a daily basis, but also in terms of like your emotional bandwidth? Because it sounds like you're someone who is very present to what you're doing when you're doing it. I mean, Mm -hmm. look, we've just met, but in terms of how you've defined the space and the work that you do, A, I guess, you know, in terms of your work, does it happen at the home or are you always out? Like, are you able to do any work while you're also caregiving? Yes. Okay. I'm curious what that looks like too. I do, but it's 
exhausting mm. <laughs> and not ideal because I'm not a multitasker. I don't believe it's really <laughs> possible. What I am good at is compartmentalizing and knowing that I have a schedule, I have parts of the day mapped out that I dedicate to sitting down, listening to music, whatever I need to do in order to prepare to be in the dance studio. Mm -hmm. So whether that's meetings that I need to have with costume designers or composers or whatever, and then making sure that I have some sort of care for my girls during that time. And then sometimes I know there are meetings that I can do when I have my two-year-old at my lap. They know my kids and they know that they need to be at home <laughs> with me sometimes. And so they're totally fine to have them coming in and out of the Zoom meetings and things like that. So it's just, I think, planning ahead and knowing that my husband needs to take care of the kids at certain times of the day and whether that works with his schedule. So it's a lot of planning ahead and communicating with, call it my teammate, <laughs> my <laughs> husband. It only works because we work together to make it happen. Do you feel like having him in the dance world, like how has that impacted when you say your teammate, like how that impacts his understanding of the work that you're doing? It's tremendously helpful. He understands that it's not a normal nine to five job. It's all over the place. I'm traveling a lot and the hours, there are no hours. Right. <laughs> For him, he's performing in the evenings. His hours, he only knows like a couple of days before. So it's very fluid and he's understanding of that as I am for his career. Right. Interesting. Yeah. I think that there's obviously a different balance when your partner is also in the same industry, right? It's something that actually I haven't, we haven't talked about on this podcast much, but what does the support look like that you have in your life and whether that's supportive of the creative pursuit or not, or why and how you're able to do what you do? Because you know, I think that so much of what we do as caregivers and as artists is invisible work, is not always compensated at a point that is sustainable in a capitalist system, right? Invisible work. How does that resonate with you? <laughs> oh my gosh. I was, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's those moments. And I was talking about this the other day with a friend because they asked, like, how do I prepare for a new piece? And there's times when I just have to sit and think, imagine. And that is very important, a very important preparation. Mm -hmm. I thought you were going to say impossible when you said important. I was waiting for you to say that's very impossible. <laughs> but it's taken me a long time to acknowledge and not feel guilty <laughs> about that work because it is work, but... In the world that we live in, I think you sit still and possibly let your mind wander is not valued at all, it seems, because it is invisible. It's not valued. It's hard not to feel guilty about it because being kind of trained <laughs> to feel guilty about sitting still and daydreaming. I mean, even as right, kids right, right. in school, if you see a child daydreaming, it's seen as a negative thing and not focusing but I think it's such a wonderful, valuable place to be in, mm -hmm. you know, that's when the good stuff happens. <laughs> right. 
No, that's so true. I mean, there's no time and space to allow a crystallization, right? Like those true epiphanies, I feel like in my experience, and I can only speak for myself at this point, but it's sounding like you're echoing that happen when there's a slowing down. Like it doesn't happen when your mind is so occupied or your body, like it's so busy, right? It has to take some space to allow that crystallization in a sense, right? Or just like this bigger opening of understanding and experience. And allowing all those, like even those not so pleasant emotions to come in, like into play, like doubt and worry and questioning and kind of allowing yourself to sit with that a little bit. But I feel like I kind of became a choreographer when I was breastfeeding. And I think that was because I was forced to sit down oh gosh. Yeah. and relax and not do anything mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. especially with my eldest child, I felt so guilty about even having a screen even near her. I wanted to be like that perfect mother or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't even have my phone near her. So I would just have to sit and not do anything. And I think that's when I started to get ideas for new works. But yeah, after that, once I stopped breastfeeding, I was took me a long time to realize, oh, I need to set aside time to just sit and be or go for a walk or whatever it is. But I think, I don't know, maybe during the pandemic when we all had to slow down and a lot of people were allowing themselves to go for a walk or time to do things. I wonder if it unleashed (laughs) more creativity in people. That's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I should definitely look into if there's been any research around that because that's a really good point. I mean, I know it seems like it's transitioned people's understandings of values and what they want Mm -hmm. in their lives and how to live their lives. I hope. I don't know. I also feel like there's this clawing back in now of so much, right? It's like, oh, we have to go back to what that was. And it's like, why can we not sit with this a little bit longer or reassess how to apply what we've learned now to the way that the world is operating before this? Like, let's get back into the office. Let's get back into certain ways of life in terms of packing schedules and especially with children, right? That Mm -hmm. really opened up my mind of like, oh my gosh, we used to, whether it was a weekend day, we'd have to go here with them or do here. And there was parties and there was activities or they had lessons or they had some sort Mm -hmm. of way to, sadly, I mean, the, the word I would use is like to fill time. And like, why does time need to be filled? And what are we filling it with? Like, why are we trying to impose that? Yeah, it's something that I've been thinking about a lot lately with my my girls as well. It's like back in my day, (laughs) it's like I remember being bored a lot, then having to figure out what to do Mm -hmm. with my time. And I think that's when things, again, it's like having that space, things get interesting. That's when games are made up and that's when you find your interests because you're figuring it out for yourself. But it's so hard in the world that we live in as parents, I think. And maybe it's my Catholic upbringing, (laughs) but it's like this sense of guilt. I should be providing all of this stuff activities for my kids because I can but maybe it's okay for them to be a bit bored and have that space to figure things out for themselves and get creative 
Right. And you're also making me think that your modeling it is actually so important too. That the work that you do when you take that time to set aside space for yourself. I don't know. Have you had any moments where they've recognized that, you know, where your children have seen that in you in any way? Not that I know of. It's more, oh, mom, would you just come and play with us instead of just (laughs) (laughs) sitting there listening to music? But I don't think they register perhaps what's going on. But yeah, I don't know. It's also that thing, like for a long time, I used to think like, well, success is doing a lot, like achieving a lot and filling as much time in with achievements and just stuff. But I guess success can mean so many different things to do even just one thing really, really well, master that to me, can be success as well. So maybe it's also how we see success in society right now is like it's doing a lot and having a lot in your life. And so that's why being still and having space maybe doesn't sit well with a lot Mm -hmm. of people. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know this is a conversation I feel like that I'm seeing a lot more, you know, a friend who's actually doing a lot of work on this and has a podcast also about ways in which to just use it of meditation and what is success and how we redefine that for ourselves. It's so hard. It's like trying to apply the idea of success in the world in which we live to something where it doesn't fit. It's sort of like Mm -hmm. motherhood in general, right? Like the work that we do as mothers, the invisibility of it, like you were saying, like it doesn't look like productive space, but what is productive? Like, or why does it have to be like, well, maybe nothing comes of it. Like maybe nothing yes. is okay too, right? Like I just feel like myself getting prickly around it because it just feels like even the idea of sitting has to feel productive in terms of somehow it's self-care or it's like, what if it's none of it? What if it's nothing? It's useless. It's just useless, yeah. time, you know? Yeah, it's always know. like the pressure of self-care now. Right, right, right. stressful. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm not caring about myself enough. I need to do another <laughs> yoga class. It's like, oh, gosh, how can I schedule that in? Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> but, yes, I think that is something. It's like we, yeah, why does it have to be for something? It's almost like, I mean, I wish I meditated and could say that I meditated, but I think from what I can gather about meditation, it's allowing that kind of emptiness, being okay with that emptiness and just letting things kind of waft in and out. But yeah, just being okay with being. Right. (laughs) That's so hard. I know. But then as you're saying that, I'm thinking how wonderful are children at doing all of that? Yes. And that we lose that as we just continue to pile layer and layer of restrictions upon children. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. over time that then become adults that are like us who are feeling these burdens, right? Yeah, yeah, we unlearn it. We unlearn that ability to just be, yeah. I think that's one thing, though, I feel very grateful for in maybe you feel the same when you write. It's just that I feel like when I'm in the studio creating dance that I do have this space where I can, even though I am creating something, I am present and I feel like I am just letting, just flowing, (laughs) for lack of a better word. And that's a way of keeping me 
level. Being able to have the time and space to create, and also that this time comes up during postpartum, is something that has arose a few times in a few conversations we've had on this podcast. It made me think about the work by Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi. Yeah, that's a mouthful. We'll include it in the show notes. But it's the work about the idea of flow and what that means in the creative process. While he popularized the term, it's something that we've all experienced in some way or another. And I found it really interesting that Danny talked about this, that she embraced time dissolving and how that experience exists when you're in the middle of a creative process. And also just how much that happens when we are children, when we're allowed to free play, when we are just totally absorbed in the moment and what we're doing. I want to ask what it is that motivates you right now as both a caregiver and uh, a choreographer you know, what you feel like you are trying to say. I know you said that a lot of your pieces have become a little bit darker than you anticipated. I'd love to understand that a little bit more in terms of what you feel like you're saying. Like, is there something in terms of your work that you really feel drawn to? And long-term, what do you think that looks like as you continue to grow and transition as your identity as a mother and your identity as a professional choreographer? You know, what the future you feel like looks like and what draws you in? It's not something that I think about a lot, really. For me, it's just generally, as far as my work is concerned, it is project by project. My aim with my work is to tell stories that mean something to me and I think will resonate with audiences and that I collect people and a team and work with dancers in a way that everyone feels valued and feels like they have a voice and that we produce with integrity. As far as motherhood with my children, I think I just want them to feel safe in whatever ways that needs to happen, whether it feels that they're safe to be whoever they want to be, that they feel safe to speak up when they need to speak up, that they have a roof over their heads. I feel like if they feel safe, then they will blossom and fly away in a good way (laughs) with independence and freedom. So I just hope that I can provide that for them when they need it. But an overarching idea for my work, I don't know. I'm really just a baby steps kind of person. I don't tend to look too far ahead. (laughs) I want to do good work that's of quality and I just want to more look back and know that I've treated people the way they want to be treated and that each work each piece each dance piece has integrity it's so interesting though because the way that you're defining that I actually feel that there's a lot of resonance between the space that you create for your, it sounds like you are really intentional around creating for your children to give them an opportunity to become their best selves and how you're doing that in a professional space, in your choreography with your teams as well. I'm curious, it sounds like anyways, like a really important part of your daily work on both ends, which I am really impressed by. (laughs) I don't know. I think at the end of the day, we're all just people that just want to feel valued. We just want to know that we're here. People see us. (laughs) 
and not in like oh we need to be told how amazing we mm-hmm, are mm-hmm. just that we feel that we here for a reason and here for to contribute in whatever way but i think you everyone needs to feel that they're seen for that i don't know i think that doesn't always happen <laughs> for a lot of people and in a lot of work environments. And I think coming out of the pandemic, that feeling of isolation and feeling like for a lot of people feeling lost, I think at this point in time, I think that's something that I just want to really work at and have that at least in my little bubble, my little part of the world that people around me feel seen. <laughs> But I can imagine that in the projects that you're working on, that that translates into, I don't see how that couldn't translate into a project that you can feel that when that's performed, I guess, is what I'm saying is that when that space is held for everyone. Yeah. And that there's resonance in that, right? That obviously with creative work, sometimes I know even for myself, I feel like, why am I doing this? Like, what is the value in this? Like, does this Mm -hmm. matter? Right? Like, I could be doing, I could be an activist, I could be an educator, like I could be working in healthcare, like there's so many other places where I feel like would that have a better impact, right? I'm doing air quotes, because again, we're talking about like productivity (laughs) and time. And is it worthwhile, right? Like in terms of just producing creative work in the world, like what does that do for the world? But it sounds like that I feel really grateful that there are individuals like you that are putting out work with that amount of intention and value, because I feel like that then does create a space for whether it's the conversation or just the visibility of a different dancer who's at a different phase of life than you would anticipate and what that means and how that impacts, whether it's the minutia of the narrative within that particular piece or the conversations that it spawns or just even a new way of seeing things is, I think, really critical. So, I mean, you've already opened up my mind in terms of space and time. And I think we started this conversation talking about sitting still and my inability, like this feeling of constantly having to quote unquote fill time, I think. So uh, hard. So hard. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it does become, like you said, it becomes in some ways harder and in some ways easier, right? As a parent, because it's harder because like, you know, we were talking about how to sort of fill the schedules of our, how to keep our children occupied and all of that and how to feel like we're being a good parent because we're providing them with all these opportunities. And then on the other hand, parenting sort of shatters that in ways that also you just don't have control all of that or like your children don't want to do any of that. And so therefore it just sort of forces you either to be super intentional with your time to the point where like those moments of creativity are just so juicy and productive, Mm -hmm. if you will, if we're going to look at it through that sort of, you know, capitalist lens. How do you define postpartum and how do you define creativity? First words that come up or first instinct. (laughs) I wish I could record your face. (laughs) Postpartum, otherworldly. Whoa. Okay. (laughs) I felt like I stepped into another world in a good way. And creativity, I would define as vulnerability. I think you have to be vulnerable in Mm -hmm. order to be creative. That's great. And obviously, I think all of this whole conversation has talked a lot about how to and sit comfortably in vulnerability, whether Mm -hmm. that's the vulnerability of not having a plan or not knowing what's coming or yeah, I like that. Well, thank you. Thank you for having the conversation today. 
I'm excited to see what's to come for you and to dig in a bit more in terms of your projects. And we'll definitely, you know, on our show notes for this podcast and on social media and all of these things, we'll, I'd love to share, obviously, the work that you did with Heather previously, the piece that you did with her, and then anything else I'm sure that our audience would love to see. And I'm excited to dig into more and to follow what you have been producing and you're creating so you too i'm excited to follow you and thank you thank you as we've often talked about in this podcast creativity like being a mother can often not feel productive though the work that happens in those quiet spaces can really help inform our process and to use danny's language being in flow is really that sweet spot for creatives where time stops and you can produce no matter what's happening in your life be it mothering or otherwise. In fact, as I'm recording this, I can hear my baby crying and I've got to run. Anyway, I delighted in hearing about Danny's transition to choreography and also how her work has been transformed by being a mother. You can find out more about Danny's work on her website, daniellerow.net, where you can also view many of her films. I'm your host, Caitlin Salamini, and this is the Postpartum Production Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a rating. This will help us reach more listeners like you who are navigating the joys and pitfalls of artistic and parenting identities. For regular updates, visit our website, postpartumproduction.com, follow us on Instagram at postpartumproductionpodcast, and subscribe to our podcast newsletter on Substack. Thank you for listening, and we are so grateful to have you with us on this journey. Postpartum may feel like forever, and sometimes it may feel very lonely, but you're not alone here.